the first reading is taken from the letter to the Philippians. It's chapter 3, reading from verse 4 to verse 14. It's on page 1180 of the Church Bible, Philippians 3. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of not knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. The is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. The well-known story of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus with very expensive perfume. John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given to Jesus, honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself 
to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus said. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. morning. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are already here this morning, that you're already moving among us. And Lord, I ask that as we look further into this passage from John, that you would open our eyes, that you would speak to our heart, and that you would show the truth that you want to speak this morning. So Father, would you take the preparation? Would you take us and would you mould us and shape us? Amen. So I wonder if it's the smell of freshly baked bread. Or is it a cake in the oven? Is it a reed diffuse that your friend has in their house? Is it a specific perfume or hairspray that someone wears? Is it the smell of a freshly cut lawn? Or a flower? I wonder if any of you have specific smells that remind you of certain things or certain people or certain places. They often provoke memories, don't they, smells? When you smell it, you get reminded of a time that once was. How often have you been walking along and suddenly you catch a whiff of something and you go, oh, I remember that, and you get transported into another place. In today's reading, we can only begin to imagine the smell that would have been in that room. The aroma that came as Mary's perfume was poured out and her gift saturates the whole house, permeating the nostril of every person there. A perfume designed to cover the very stench of death itself. This extravagance, pleasure, exuberance isn't really something that we think of in the build-up to Lent. But here, Mary of Bethany, the same Mary that was sister to Martha, knew something different. Here at Bethany, a week before Passover, Jesus' public ministry, which for John starts at the wedding in Cana, moves on to another occasion. This one, very different to the wedding, which was jubilant and celebratory. This one, more like there's a dark cloud hovering on the horizon and darker days coming. The tone isn't as upbeat, one more to do with burial than renewal. But the talk of death and burial is in the presence of Lazarus a man that Jesus has just raised to life. And the people at this dinner, in honour of Jesus, would have known and probably even witnessed this happening. They would have witnessed him leaving his grave behind. And if they didn't, then they would have at least heard about it. They would have got a glimpse of how death didn't have to be the final word. And this miracle itself had brought people to Jesus, whether to believe in him or whether just to come and look. And for others, it had turned the moment of when they wanted to plot to kill him and indeed plotting to kill Lazarus. So this act that we read about from Mary is a prophetic sign of what was to come and that Jesus uses to forge the connection between his anointing and his burial in verse 7. So let's look at what Mary did. A dinner's being held in Jesus' honour. Jesus would have been sitting, reclining at the table, his head 
close to the food. And Mary comes over with an expensive perfume of nard. And she pours it over his feet in front of all of them. Not a little bit, but a lot. And then taking her hair down, she took his feet and she dried them. Let's pause. What would you have thought if you'd have seen that happen? What do you think now? A bit weird? A bit strange? Would you have been muttering? You can just imagine the silence that would have come when that happened. Like, I suppose, for us, the moment when a glass is dropped in a restaurant and everyone stops their conversation and turns to look. Almost that moment for them. I wonder what would have been going through their head. Not only was Mary pouring out this expensive perfume over the dirtiest part of their body, she had taken her hair down. It was socially unacceptable to wear your hair like this as a woman. A modern day equivalent, you're eating your dinner with your friends and one of the ladies in the room hitches up their skirt to their thigh. That's the modern day equivalent, I suppose, for us because women here wear their hair down all the time. What would your response be? Shock, judgment, how would Martha have felt? Her sister's just done this. What's her sister doing? From what we know of Martha, I don't think it would have gone down very well. Her sister's making a fool of herself. Probably a bit embarrassed that this was happening in her house. Yet it's not Martha that speaks, is it? It's Judas objecting to it. And I imagine quite fiercely he challenges her behaviour. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Now again... We need to pause, because we know what happens next. We know that it was Judas that then goes to betray Jesus. They don't. Apart from Jesus, none of them know what's going to happen. So it sounds like he's asking a fair question. Why isn't it being given to the poor? You might well have been thinking that the same if you were there. We're in Bethany. Beth Annie, house for the poor. House of the poor. Judas was treasurer. And to an outsider, it would have looked like he was just had a genuine concern for those people. They were look, he was looking after the resources that that group had. They didn't have a steady income. He needed to make sure it was spent wisely and that there was still money left to be given to those poor people that were there. We too, if we were a guest at that dinner, may well have been thinking the same thing. What a waste. What an extravagance. What was she doing? We now know that Judas has an ulterior motive. John has already portrayed Judas as a thief, as a devil, sorry, in John 6, and now we hear him referring to Jesus as a thief. Was Judas in outrage because he lost the chance to pill for the money? Or was it 
that her lavish response to Jesus was too much for him to watch. Would I find it difficult to watch? Awkward almost? And I think the honest answer would be yes. Yes, I would. Difficult to watch because I wonder if I could do that. Would I be moved to respond to him like that? Or would I think I was probably getting in the way? Would I think that Jesus would be irritated with me? Would I feel like I perhaps couldn't bear the public disapproval that was bound to come my way? Would I want to give the most precious thing that I had? And before we look at Mary in more detail, let's take a quick look at what Jesus says. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And commentators all agree that this verse in verse 7 is hard to translate into English. But what we can glean is that Mary's actions probably went far beyond what she'd even known that they would do. Jesus defends her actions. But his teaching is not that giving money to the poor is wrong or has no place in their disciples' financial obligation, but instead he's challenging the motivation of giving and gratitude. Where motivations come from a desire to attain merit before God, they're not a trademark of discipleship. But instead, disciples become so full of gratitude that they make available everything they possess. And it's out of this devotion that giving to the poor comes from. But today, let's focus on what Mary did. Her act of adoration, because I don't know about you, but that challenges me. It's the same encounter we read about in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. And it teaches me, and hopefully you, five things. I hope you remember the five by the end of this, so we'll keep practicing them as we go. Number one, it came from the fruit of a humble spirit. Mary doesn't come to Jesus at his level. Instead, she stoops herself down. She kneels down and assumes a posture of subservience. And in doing so, she puts herself in a place where she honours who he is. Interestingly, well, I found it interesting anyway. Hopefully you do. Mary, by this point, is mentioned three times in the Gospels, and it's always in relation to feet. In Luke 10, she sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him while Martha is busy doing all the cooking. Jesus makes sure to say that she's done the right thing. Then later, in John 11, when Lazarus has died, she falls at his feet, indicating a dependence on him. And now in John 12, we see her anointing his feet in an act of devotion, listening to him, dependent on him, devotion towards him. The feet of Jesus is where Mary started and where Mary finishes. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is where service for him begins. How often do I stop to sit at his feet? So what was number one? Humble spirit, very good. You're with me. Two, she had a perceptive heart. From that place of sitting and listening to what he says, Mary is able to perceive something of what is going on, whether she knew the fullness of that or not. Her prophetic act was a service to Jesus that he loved. And despite the fact he was fully God and had need of nothing, one commentator puts it that he allows us to minister to him in ways which bring delight to him. Mary was able to share in the consecration of Jesus. 
And I think Mary only knew to do this, or was moved to do this, because she'd stopped to sit at his feet when others had busied themselves. And it's in this place of sitting at Jesus' feet that we share his heart. So what was number one? Good. Number two? Good. Number three is that she was sharply criticised. In both pouring out the perfume, because it was extravagant, and in taking her hair down, Mary was criticised. Both presumably from the background mutterings that you can imagine were going on, as well as her behaviour being called out in public, not by just anybody, but by one of Jesus' disciples. And sometimes what we do gets criticised. It may seem to others like it's a sheer waste of time and effort. And our lives are already with busy doing other things. Why are we taking time for them? It might not fit in with someone else's agenda, but it might be on God's agenda. And we too might look at others and judge them in the same way. But hopefully what Mary teaches us is that by sitting at his feet and being perceptive to him, that you can be moved to an act of worship that Jesus approves of, but that others don't. So number one, humble. Criticised, very good. And extravagant. Nard was expensive. It was taken from the root and spike of a nard plant grown in England, in, in, in England, in India. It wasn't a poundland, that is England, perfume. This was the real deal, probably costing the annual salary of someone on the average or above average wage. And Mary doesn't just pour a little bit of this. The accounts in Matthew and Mark differ in that they say that she pours it over Jesus' head. But the amount poured is likely to have gone all over. It would have covered more than just his feet or just his head. It comes across as a lavish exuberance, especially given the fact we're in Bethany, house of the poor. This perfume would have been kept for a special occasion. And someone told me when I was praying it would have been given by a father when she was little for marriage. So in opening this over Jesus, it was saying, I give you my all. It was a profound act of intimacy, an expression of deep love. So number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. An expression of love deeply contrasting with the stinginess of Judas, wasn't it? Number five. Mary's act was fruitful. Take yourself back to the beginning where we thought about the smells that remind us of events or people. And as Mary poured out this perfume, the other people in the room were affected by it. They couldn't help but notice what was going on. They couldn't help but be touched by the events that they were, that they were witnessing. They couldn't help but smell the aroma. Mary's act teaches us that sincere service of Jesus has the capacity to touch and bless others. Others are blessed when we serve Jesus. And what we do becomes part of the indestructible. So number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. And number five. Fruitful. So as we draw to a close, let's think through this act of adoration that we see Mary partaking. An act I'd love to be able to confidently say, I'd do. 
but in all honesty, I don't know if I could because of fear of what other people might think or because I wouldn't want to get in the way because I wouldn't want to get laughed at. How often do I have the urge to dance in worship or to sing out? Now, I don't do it in case I get laughed at. I might look silly. I found myself praying as I read through this passage that I would become like Mary. I long for my service to be done out of humility. I'd hope to be perceptive. I'd hope to do things because they are right and not out of fear of criticism. I long to be extravagant in my praise and I desire my service to be fruitful. That like Mary, I would sit at his feet and listen. That I would fall at his feet in dependence and that I would worship him in true devotion. Does anyone else want that?